I'm Adam Coleman, inviting you to the fifth season of The Cosmic Library from LitHub. This season, we go on our tiniest reading adventure yet, into short stories in the U.S. But this too turns out to be almost all-encompassing. I think short stories are essentially brief encounters with felt life. That's Oxford literary scholar Andrew Kahn, who gives us a deep history of the short story. And we hear from The New Yorker's Deborah Treisman, who explains her work as an editor of short fiction. You know, if you are melding with another person, you don't turn that person into you, but you get to know the ins and outs of that person. So, and it's, it's sort of like that. I always feel involved with the stories. We bounce around between the history and current life of short stories with the novelist Justin Taylor. The nice thing about it going out of fashion is that it really frees you up to relate to it in a different way. This being the Cosmic Library, we make sure to go way beyond U.S. short stories, too. Here's the Washington Post critic, Becca Rothfeld. A lot of Kafka short stories, I think, gesture at or describe um, sort of nightmarish geographies or architectures. And the actor Max Gordon Moore reminds us just how wild short stories can be. With a reading in its entirety of Wakefield, the intensely strange, classic Nathaniel Hawthorne story. He had contrived, or rather he had happened, to dissever himself from the world, to vanish. Get ready for all that and more in a season about short stories, small windows into vast universes. It's season five of The Cosmic Library, available soon wherever you go for podcasts. I'm John Burnham Schwartz, literary director of the Sun Valley Writers Conference, and this is Beyond the Page. In this episode, I talk with my good friend, Pulitzer Prize-winning playwright and novelist Ayad Akhtar, about his just-published new novel, Homeland Elegies. Passionate, disturbing, unputdownable, Salman Rushdie calls it, about being the American Midwestern son of immigrant doctors from Pakistan, about otherness and Islam and Trump and capitalism and identity and race, and, ultimately, the state of this country he calls home. It is my great pleasure to welcome my good friend, uh, the playwright, novelist, screenwriter, uh, Ayad Akhtar, uh, for a conversation particularly about his new novel, Homeland Elegies. Uh, I just want to say, starting out, that I read Homeland Elegies for the first time about 10 months ago, and at the time was full of admiration and thrilled and provoked and, and moved and the book has stayed with me, but I just finished um, in the last three days rereading the book. And it's not often one rereads a book uh, in such a short period of time. And my admiration has only grown exponentially. If I can think of one book in recent years that I would call necessary, I would say that about this book. Um, it is a novel that packs the power of both great nonfiction and fiction. And it seems to tell us from many different places at once how we got to this moment in the American experience. And it suggests in certain hopeful and surprising ways, perhaps where we might go. So having said that, Ayad, welcome. Thanks, John. You're going to make me cry. <laughs> <laughs> Don't do that yet. Save it for the end. Okay. So I want to ask you, I could sit here and start describing this novel, which is 
very boldly structured. Um, it has a kind of Rothian um, chutzpah to it in terms of how it tackles the, this question of American experience and of otherness in this country. But I would rather hear you describe how you th- see the book. You know, I, it, it was, um, I had been, you know, I think we've all been through a lot in the last few years, especially politically, but not only. I mean, I think I also had the, you know, the misfortune of my, my, my mom passing away and then a uh, beloved mentor of mine. And, and my father was showing signs of pr- pretty significant decline. And, and, you know, that all of that combined with uh, what was happening in America, I was in a certain mental state. <laughs> I was an emotional, mm-hmm. mental and emotional state. And I read a, a, a poem by uh, uh, Leopardi uh, from, you know, 200 years ago, mm-hmm. uh, in which it's one of, it's the first of his canti. And he, it's called To Italy. And he's addressing the Italian people. He's addressing his fellow citizens, his fellow countrymen. And, you know, I just, I, it was a question that sort of ignited in me was, is it, would it be possible to write, to address my fellow Americans? Could I today find a voice that would, that would reconstitute the us if for no other duration than just the duration of anybody who read these pages? And, mm-hmm. you know, almost immediately, John, I mean, it was really shocking. It was really the next day. I got up and I and the voice was there was a voice that was speaking. It was speaking the overture of the book, the very opening, the first four pages, which are in in essence, really the entirety. It's the, you know, holographically, it's the the entirety of the argument of the book and and all of the major personalities of the book, or at least most of them. And so, you know, that kind of poured out of me. And then and then what ended up happening was, you know, I've had some pretty amazing creative experiences in my life just in sort of, you know, surprising uh, explosions and eruptions, but this was by far the most extraordinary. I mean, it was just, it was bizarre. It was, I would write for two weeks. I would have language that I didn't even know I had. Uh, I would have, uh, you know, scenes. It would, it was almost effortless in, except in the sense that it required stamina to just keep going. And then I would, two weeks I would stop. Uh, I would be exhausted. I would stop. I would think it had gone and then it would suddenly reappear. And then I would go for another two weeks or three weeks and then it would stop. And, and this lasted about 11 months. And, you know, the funny thing about it, you know, it is a very, it is a very, very, it's an organic structure in the sense that it doesn't present you with an obvious story from the get go. You're really immersed in the, in the, you know, confusion between truth and fiction and the narrator's uh, various uh, narrative threads that he is narrating to you. Um, and so all of that stuff, believe it or not, I mean, I, I was surprised as I sort of, you know, got to the middle and then got to the end that there was so much, there was as much coherence uh, to, to the book as there was. And there I think is, that in a way yeah. it, it just spoke to, it spoke to maybe the coherency of what I have been thinking about for the last 10 years. So there's a definite mix of, memoir, if you will, it's certainly personal biography, family biography, and the facts of your own life and and those of others in your family, uh, mixed in with novelistic license. I mean, I know you well, Uh, you're a good friend, and I still don't know in many cases where it ends and where it begins. You'll note also that I have not asked you uh, until yeah. now, but how- <laughs> Well, how I think aware... as time goes on, I may get confused about well, what actually I think that's healthy, personally. But <laughs> yeah. what degree 
of awareness did you have from the beginning about what those boundaries were or were not going to be as you set out to write this book? You, you, well, that's thank you for that. That's probably the most important question surrounding this the book for me, you know, and at least in talking about it. I do want to just get back to the last question because I didn't really answer your question. Yeah. But, you know, sort of like the, the simple way of putting it is that I, you know, I think I got to a point uh, because of the personal and the political, where I, I felt like I wanted to look back on what had happened to my parents and th- their generation of immigrants mm-hmm. and all of their kids, meaning people like myself, and what happened to us in the 50 years that we had been here and what happened to this country in those 50 years and what the changes in America in that half century meant about what we th- what they thought they were coming to and what, ended, what it ended up becoming, right? So mm-hmm. that, that's really the kind of like nutshell about that's what I should have answered in the last question. In, you know, this this question, you know, to me, I always knew that I wanted to find the reader. I wanted to make an attempt to find the reader where they are today. I wanted mm-hmm. to have I wanted to write a book that was going to have the potential to have a certain kind of grit and 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 bite that 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 the audience and the readership is getting from social media that they're getting from breaking news that they're getting from the Instagram scrolls. And and I didn't, I just felt that in my hands, a third person uh, novel or a novel that was going to sort of like tell you a story that was just not, I wasn't going to be able to pull off the immediacy, the vividness, the attack, the sensationalism Mm -hmm. of what's happened to the world. You know, this lust for unreality that has overtaken us politically and and personally. And so I, I knew from the beginning that I was going to be writing into this nebulous space between truth and fiction because I wanted to find a form that was going to mirror the collapse of the boundary between truth and fiction. I didn't want to indict that collapse of the boundary. I wanted to use that collapse because I wanted to find a way to absorb the reader uh, in an experience that maybe was, was um, you know, somewhat unprecedented for them. I think that's exactly what you did. I, well, I'm, I'm really yeah. pleased to hear that. I mean, I, I think the, the one thing, last thing I'd say about it is that I feel like in reality, what, what the book is, is in a kind of a literary attempt at reality television or reality serial entertainment or reality serial episodic, you know, mm-hmm. that, that I'm not, I'm not trying to, in traditional autofiction, the narrator has a kind of arm's length distance from the events and kind of, you know, but this here, I'm trying to collapse the, 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 the boundary between myself and the reader. So. Mm-hmm. Well, you, you do quote Alison Bechtel uh, in the epigraph, I can only make things up about things that have already happened, which a line I, <laughs> yeah. I really love right. and so true. So let's look at the book. There are eight major chapters, right? So there's a definite sense of a musical form with an overture in the beginning and even a coda at the end. And in the overture, yeah. you present an old college professor of yours, Mary Maroney, who's someone who I now think of as a friend of mine in some fashion, just because she stands (laughs) out so vividly in the book. But you present her as something of an intellectual and moral Virgil, if you will, for you and also for us, the readers, as we all prepare to enter this dark wood of the contemporary American experience, which is going to be this book, this, this, this journey. And, and Maroney does, you know, she definitely turns out to be an extraordinary and illuminating guide. And, but it's a, it's a very important role. It's a spine for the book in an, in a number of ways. And we return to her later and it's a very effective 
device, even as much as it's, she's a, a very realized character. So mm-hmm. how aware were you at that moment that that was going to be the case? How did she come to inhabit this role? Uh, which is also to say, what role did she play in your life? She, you know, Mary, um, Mary Maroney is based on a, a teacher that I had in college who, who was really pivotal for me and who's also named Mary, uh, and, but she has a different last name, uh, but Italian-American um, mm-hmm. and um, really just a brilliant mind and somebody who, who she, I mean, she accorded me an equality in intellectual equality as we would sit in her, her office for hours upon end. That that was entirely not merited. I mean, I did not deserve that equality, but by according it to me, by sort of you know extending that invitation to meet her where she was, uh, I think she really uh, she really changed me. She she's an important part of my intellectual development. I'm still in touch with Mary, um, and I I still share work with her. She comes and sees everything I do. Uh, she's come to all the plays. She's given me critiques, and and uh, she's helped me get through some of the hardships and. Um, and, you know, it was interesting with the overture when it came to me, Mary was at the top of it. And Mary's Mary's address about America just after after the Reagan Bush years and, you know, at the beginning of the Clinton years, I remember her. I remember her her perspective and feeling shocked by the things that she would say in class. And and so I was just it, it came to me in that overture. And, and I and I didn't know how much she would recur in the book, but. But I think as I was writing it, I kind of knew that there were certain strands I needed to keep alive. And and so, you know, they would they would come as themes returned, as situations uh, presented themselves. A lot of times I would find ways or I found myself finding ways to, you know, bring characters back into the narrative. Yeah. Um, In Mary's case, it was all pretty organic. She becomes to a kind of guide in the book, uh, linking the, the public sphere and one's critique of it with the unconscious and the private. And that's the book very much inhabits that bridge. Yeah, and, and the imagination as well. Yeah. So let's start where the narrative essentially starts itself, which is with your family. As you, you talked about wanting the book to stand in a way as a remembrance of them and of what they lived as well as what you lived. But it, it's especially your parents, I mean, you're, there are many memorable relatives and family friends, but above all, there's your father and your mother. And first, I want to ask you a little bit about your own experience, because you, it's not just your parents and relatives in America, but it's very much also before America in Pakistan. Yeah. And right. what was your experience growing up with Pakistan, both the reality and the idea? And how did, it, how did that connect in a way with your more present experience of growing up here in America as someone born here? Well, it was a double, you know, it was a double picture that I always had. I always had a picture of one culture and a picture of another. And I was on the inside of both in a way, but I was also on the outside of both. And I think one of the things that it, that it really made clear for me as a kid was that the things that people believe aren't universal. And so what the folks I was around here uh, what they believed, uh, you know, seemed perfectly reasonable and absolutely probably true. But then when I would go home or when I would be in Pakistan with my parents, they believed completely different things and it felt just as viable. And so that contingency of belief is something that I think I've always I've always been much more comfortable than maybe uh, people understand why 
I just don't I don't I don't necessarily think there's any right way of looking at anything. Um, and I think mm-hmm. that just comes from from this experience. And so in a way, um, I would say that, you know, notwithstanding whatever the difficulties of being, you know, Muslim post 9-11, which, of course, the book, you know, goes into great detail, even though it ultimately is not making making a case for any kind of uh uh, exceptionalism of a point of view because of because of the sufferings one goes through socially. I think it, on the contrary, says is, is suggesting that maybe we're all in it together as Americans. But um, you know, notwithstanding all of those difficulties, I think that as a, as an artist, I have uh, embraced the perspective of the observer and the one on the outside taking a look and sort of making notes and trying to figure stuff out. You know, so I landed okay on you know this this double consciousness, if you will, of two different cultures, and it uh, it's it's actually served me well. Yeah, it it certainly has. And you describe yourself in a there's a letter to the reader in the in the galley, you know, as a, a child of a generation caught between notions of home, of success, of belonging, and most of all of America. And that that definitely brings me to your father, who is he's just a character who leaps off. The page and could easily <laughs> yeah. command a novel of his own, and he's linked well, he, in this he left book. Off, he left off the page of life, John. <laughs> <laughs> that is clear, and I'm sure he felt he deserved a novel of his own as well. So, um, I, even though he would never know, read it, no, 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 of course not. But um, yeah. you know, he's linked in this in this book from the beginning in a way that is um, surprising, uh, funny, absurd. Uh, tragic and bracing with Donald Trump. And without spoiling uh, the book in any way, but it's not really a spoiler type of thing. Uh, do you want to just talk about that and what sure. what, a, yeah. what a, a portal your father was and and the idea of him and, and, Don, and yeah. the Donald together? Yeah. So um, my uh, my father was very uh, well known uh, cardiologist and specialist, world really a world specialist of arrhythmias, one of the pioneers, and um, uh, was a doctor to many many famous people um, over the years. And so the, the the chapter, the sort of beginning of the book, begins with a with an account of uh, the narrator's father, who is you know substantially based on my father, who uh, in the mid nineties. Uh, treated Donald Trump briefly and uh, was brought in on a uh, on a case in which uh, you know nobody could quite figure out what was going on with uh, the irregular, irregular heart rhythms. My my dad started coming to New York uh, to uh, you know uh, treat treat uh, Trump uh, and you know didn't really develop a relationship uh, with him, but just kind of in in the book kind of has a a bromance, if you will. You know, spends yeah, enough exactly. just enough time to be. To be kind of you know like enamored of of the the high life uh, the New York City high life um, and uh, and and this early experience and then and then the sort of the problem medical problem is resolved and you know my father doesn't see uh, Donald Trump again for you know twenty years uh, when by the time he's running for president but that early experience uh, left such a positive impression on him and sort of so so enamored such a a bromance a romance really if you will that he is a trump supporter throughout the campaign and and um and this creates all kinds of trouble between me and him but but also there's uh some further consequences pretty significant consequences on my father's life and on on the the family life uh based on his uh, encounter with trump which get played out throughout the course of the book and 
you know, one of the one of the things that I I was doing here was, of course, finding a way to to get into the politics of today and and to find a human way to actually begin to to thread the the various needles that I would have to thread in order to sort of paint the portrait of what America has become, why why we are where we are, if you will. Um, And so so, you know, on the one hand, that first chapter, you know, puts us in contact or, 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 you know, gives us a feeling of America that is uh, that is embodied by by Donald Trump, a self-made man who makes himself, uh, you know, on the on the strength of of debt and the gap between appearance and reality, uh, who may not is certainly not all that he claims to be. But who, through the power of personality and positive thinking and whatnot, is able to sort of vanquish, uh, you know, any 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 foe, um, and and that that in a way stands in for a kind of uh, on steroids version of American opportunity, if you will, right? Yep. And that his ascension to the American presidency is really the ultimate the ultimate success story, if you will, right? And yep. and on that on the one hand is that sort of overblown. Uh, version of American, uh, you know, I'm not even sure what the right word is, individualism. And on the other side of it is the following chapter, which is my mother's, uh, my mother's anti-Americanism, which, uh, you know, comes from her own homesickness and also comes from her feeling that America doesn't understand uh, her and the and where she comes from and her sympathies for bin Laden. So between between um, Donald Trump and bin Laden uh, and, and, you know, there's a whole section that takes place in Abbottabad right about the time that bin Laden is actually staying in a compound just just a few, uh, you know, just a, just a few blocks from where uh, the part of the book takes place. Uh, between those two poles, between Donald Trump and bin Laden is the portrait of America that that unfolds inside. Yes. the Yes. Um, that brings us to your mother, who is such an affecting and melancholy character in so many ways. And then the. the the sense of regret she carries, uh, at least in the book, for, um, a hidden, barely hidden love for uh, your father's best friend, whom she did not marry and someone else did, and a sense that, a regret that somehow she had left there and, and brought you here even before you were born, and that somehow she had robbed you of some kind of happiness that, in fact, you didn't yourself see in that way. And there are just, as later in the book, as she's dying, her cancer has recurred. I just want to mention these two lines. One, you say in the novel, in rejecting what she couldn't give me, hadn't I rejected what she could? And the other one is, I never felt like I had access, meaning to her, except when we were in Pakistan. So yeah, just right. those two lines, what would you say about that in terms of not only her, the arc of her life in Pakistan and then in America, but also what that left you with afterwards? Yeah. You know, she, 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 my mom, like my mom, like the, the, the mother in the book was uh, caught uh, in a country that I think she, you know, I just don't think she I don't think she loved it very much. <laughs> I don't think she found I don't think she found the bounty of, of whatever opportunity and so-called freedom. And I don't think she I don't think she felt that that made up for losing all the things that she had to lose in order to be here. 
family and the native smells and tastes and, and sounds and 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 what was so great about America anyway? It was just what that everybody had. It was you could just have more stuff and that you could, you know, the the, the gadgets were cooler and that you know what what was it at, at root? Mm-hmm. It was really just about money. And on you know, and on the other side of the coin with my father, what was so great about it? Well, the fact that you could make all the money you wanted to and you could do stuff with that money. So yeah. in a way, I think you know, I think that that that's one of the reasons money is at the as, at the heart of the book. But getting getting back to my 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 mom, you know, she I think was homesick most of her life, and and I think there was a, a sense of regret. And I do think that she was a different person when we were in Pakistan, and I I loved the person that she was. She was there in some ways. Maybe I, I, I liked I loved her equally, but I maybe liked that person more, um, mm-hmm. you know, and and as far as, you know, in rejecting what she in rejecting in in wanting what she couldn't give me, I rejected what she could. Right. Yeah. And I think that that's the essence of my relationship with my mother. Unfortunately, I, I wanted something from her that she couldn't give me. And, yeah. you know, I don't even know, you know, and, and toward the end of her life, I guess I, I didn't even understand why it was I wanted that. Right. What was it? Why was it so important for me to want something that she couldn't give me? So that always when we get into the heart of that, which is so personal and emotional, one of the things I, I so appreciate about about the book is that for every personal and emotional investigation of that kind, um, it leads inevitably because of the nature of the book, to a thought about something larger, uh, in this sense, mm-hmm. and, and more political, if you will. So when what you're saying about your mother, which is in rejecting what she couldn't give me, hadn't I rejected what she could, I'm also thinking about Islam, and about right. your relationship to Islam, um, your being a, a Muslim American, vis-a-vis your parents' faith or non-faith, what I mean, or with their relationship with it. And so I, I mean, I don't, I don't know that you and I have even talked that much about this in the past, but hmm. it, yeah. what your, your own personal experience of growing up with Islam in the Midwest, in America, uh, with your parents and with your travels to and from Pakistan, family travels mostly, how, yeah. how did writing this book change your feeling about that also losing your mother um in this case uh where do you feel you are now uh you know relative to where you were then you know i think that one of the things that i in in before writing this book uh, i i'd been thinking about because i had been trying to write something and i had started and and you know it was a story about actually about my, my father and thought i was going to write a short novel about my father and um and, and, you know, as I was writing early on, I could feel how no matter what I wrote, there was no way what I was going to what how I would be read would be read any, in any other way. But through the lens of a, it being about a Muslim, mm-hmm. that in this country, if I was to write about my father, there was no way to avoid one way or the other, even though he didn't identify as being Muslim with with Islam, that Islam was going to be a subject of the book one way or another, whether I wanted it to be or not, because the. The reader was going to bring that to it. And and so in a way, I think one of the things that this book or the narrative strategy of the book or the voice of the book kind of kind of solved for me was to say, I'm going to write about I'm going to write about America. I'm going to write about everything. But I know that 
you reader will probably wonder a lot, as I have also, what my relationship with Islam is. And because I'm writing about everything, I'm going to write about that too. Mm -hmm. So that's going to be there too. And so in a weird way, I kind of found the freedom to be free of Islam by writing about America and Islam and other stuff too. Donald Trump yeah. and syphilis and all kinds of stuff. And so somehow, you know, it feels in a way that you know, Islam is an important part of my history, for sure. There's no question. I mean, it's so such a big thing for me. But it's also not that big a deal, at least not to me. It's just part mm -hmm. of the, you know, it's just part of my life. And yet all the works you've done now and all of the dialogues you've gotten into publicly after Disgraced uh, went on the stage and then won the Pulitzer, um, you know, eight years ago and seven years ago. And... So you, there's been this continuous conversation in a way that you have, on the one hand, instigated, but on the other hand, been forced to have, you know, yeah. uh, about, about, <laughs> uh, about being a Muslim American, about whether you, your characters and your works um, are speaking for you or are they speaking, are they just about Muslims and, and Amer Muslim Americans or are they about America. And so it seems to me yeah. that this novel in that sense is, 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 I don't, I don't want to say an answer, but it is a response. No, I think that's exactly right. Yeah. John, no, that's exactly right. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've been hounded by that question. You know, it, it's nice. It's nice that people care enough for me to be able to say something like I've been hounded by a question as a writer, right? <laughs> like, like I'm, I'm grateful to, but I'm grateful. But, but the reality is I've been hounded by by this question of accounting for myself as a Muslim in this country for for ten years now, and and yep. you know I haven't I haven't chosen to write about Islam. I'm just writing about my experience. I, I can't write. I mean, it would be odd for me to take on the voice of, you know, I don't know some you know some Southern person living in Alabama and just writing a. Like, I, I wouldn't have the, you know, the only thing I really know granularly is the experience that I have had and that of my family. So I'm writing from a particular that is my particular, but I'm not writing from the particular to the particular. I'm writing from yeah. the particular to the universal, I hope. But yep. but this question of, of of being read as, oh, here's a particular to a particular, like, oh, this is particularly about Islam. Well, no, it's particularly about the universal experience, I hope, of faith and love and greed and murder and all these other things. And and it yes. just happens to take place with a character set of that are happen to be Muslim American. But well, yes, the narrative, this book is, a, is yeah. a response to all of that. And the narrative voice in this book and the narrative structure, the choices you made novelistically grant you that space uh, and you take it. And that's that's part yeah. of the um, that's part of the, the, the pulse of the, of the whole book, I think. So I want to just focus a little bit on one section of the book. It, the, the chapter is titled Scranton Memoirs. And yeah. I would call it a watershed section. Um, you know, very roughly, you, you're, you're coming back from a, um, a few days with your parents at this resort they go to in the Finger Lakes, and uh, your car breaks down um, near Scranton, and you're pulled over with your smoking engine by, by a state trooper. And it leads to um, an, an incident between the two of you or in all, a conversation. And then that leads through the byways of American local behaviors to your being um, 
at a um, an auto shop a couple of towns over with a guy who turns out to be the uncle of the the policeman who stopped you and you get into a situation so it's a it's a <laughs> yes, troubling yes. situation and as you leave through and there are a number of byways in the chapter but as you're heading finally with your engine fixed uh some degree poorer you're driving back finally to the city um you say a, a couple of things and it seems to be a moment when at least in the novel and this is the leap i would like you to talk about um you 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 cross over as an artist and a, and a novel towards an idea about what you don't want to do and what you do. Here's one quote. So as much as I felt victim to what the nation had become for us after 9-11, I too had participated in my own exclusion, willingly, still choosing some 40 years into my American life to see myself as other. You, you make reference to the rootless, haunted sense of having foundered in my life as an American. And then at the very end of the chapter, you say, I would soon begin a series of works founded on my new unwillingness to pretend I was not conflicted about my country or my place in it. So I yeah. guess with that and the addition of, um, of a, a little epigraph you lead to, and I'm a huge D.W. W. Winnicott fan, the, that epigraph <laughs> is, it is a joy to be hidden, but a disaster not to be found. So with those yeah. quotes in mind, and that chapter yeah. in mind, as you leave, as you leave out of it, um, and head into a chapter that's all that's called Riaz or the Merchant of Debt, all about American yeah. capital. Uh, how to what degree is that representative? I would ask of perhaps a feeling you had about your own Americanness or your own oh, role totally. in your own American life and whatever shift you felt you needed to make in order to start making work out, uh, making art out of it. Totally. I mean, you know, I think I, I, there's, there's lots of, you know, we go through this constant process of sort of coming of age, right? Always. Mm -hmm. We're always coming of age in different ways. And I think that, that for me, the real, the real, uh, the real potent coming of age was the ability to no longer need a solution, the ability to no longer need uh, a resolution. Mm -hmm. And for some reason, the question or the quandary or the tension or the opposition was enough. And to have a space, a mental space and an emotional space to recognize that the question was actually much more interesting than the answer. You know, and it's led to all kinds of uh, all kinds of acquisitions at the, at the level of craft when it comes to sort of focusing on the middle of a story where the story does not is not resolved where we're still in the conflict where, you know, I think as a, as a writer when I was much younger, I wanted to get to I wanted to get to the end as quickly as possible. Or I wanted to get to, you know, where's it going? Where's it all going? But I think, you know, keeping the reader in the where is it going? But we don't know, you know, the match that we're not sure which side is winning yet. That's a much more vivid and interesting place. And so similarly, getting back to the question you just asked me, I think there came a moment in my career and my uh, as a writer in my own sort of life that the question of, of being divided about my belonging in this country was no longer something that was seeking to be resolved. Yeah. And when it's when it was no longer seeking to be resolved, it could just be what it was. And it started to sprout uh, and generate story itself. Right. And that that's the moment that I'm that I'm fashioning that I'm you know yeah. that I'm I'm creating for the reader in in that section. 
And that is the beginning because art, of course, is not an answer to anything. Yeah. So, you know, that great thing that Keats says about negative capability, you know. Yep. So uh, speaking of Riaz or the merchant of debt, uh, I know that you are fascinated slash horrified by uh, <laughs> the American capital, the American relationship with capitalism, uh, the origin stories of how we financially and uh, immorally came to be where we are. Uh, you and I have talked a lot about stories from the 80s. Your play Junk uh, takes the stories, the, the, the rise of Michael Milken and Boski and that whole period, and it turns it into uh, a fantastic play. Um, so I would say, and there's a big chapter here called Riaz or the Merchant of Dead. And Riaz is a Pakistani um, who becomes a very, very successful uh, financier in, in America, and you end up, uh, he befriends you or you befriend him, and, and you end up becoming, entering his world uh, for yeah. a while and profiting from it. So mm -hmm. I, would, I would ask, how would you describe um, your own relationship to money coming from where you came from with your father, your Trump-loving father, uh, who also made money and lost money, and uh, and how that in your own mind has connected you um, as you have written these works to America's relationship to money as it is now. You, um, you know, I think the book the book circles around. You know, it tries to po portray a very rich, as rich as as rich as I could summon uh, a portrait of the country and yeah and. Um, at the center of that portrait, really, you know, all of the all of the pieces of that portrait are revolving around a center, and that center is the American relationship to money. And and the final section, you know, is called Pax Americana, and is is mm -hmm. kind of centers in on what the disease. If if the republic is diseased, what is that disease? And and I think the book makes a case that the disease is our relationship to money. Which, which, you know, the book ends with referring to Whitman's, uh, you know, Democratic Vistas having seen this, you know, a hundred years earlier. So it's not it's not new. But but I think that, you know, I as as a student of the markets, as a student of the American, uh, the American project from an economic point of view, um, and as somebody who understands, I think, perhaps how American dominance, ideological dominance has really been fundamentally about American economic prosperity over the past whatever 80 years and and uh, you know no matter what our ideas if we are not a dominant a dominant economic force in the future our ideas are going to be irrelevant it won't matter uh, what our ideas are is to understand the basis of 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 American strength has always ultimately really been not ideological but economic and mm -hmm. and to me, you know, as a writer who thinks about this a lot, as you are, and as somebody who who tries to make personal sense of all of it, you know, I think that I can't do any better than to just sort of say it's very easy to criticize capitalism and it's very easy to enjoy its benefits. And, yeah. you know, maybe even easier to enjoy its benefits. So I think that dilemma of being American, trying to understand what's going wrong, recognizing that that What's going wrong has to do with our economics and the way that we think about money in this country. And also recognizing that I, as an American, am fully beholden to that mythology. And I'm a part mm -hmm. of it. 
And so staging all of that and finding a way to stage all of it, you know, the, the section that you're talking about, the merchant of debt, is all about how I, as you said, become, uh, you know, become part of a, a billionaire's or near billionaire's uh, world and, and life. And what changes that that uh, reeks on my consciousness and what I learn and don't and sort of forget about uh, being an artist, really, mm-hmm. uh, in that process. Um, and then there's a consequence, you know, later on in excuse me, later on in the book, you know, the, there are lots of metaphorical and actual consequences to this encounter that yes. that play themselves out. And you fold race into that as well, which I find really, really interesting. Um, the sort of internalized perceptions of it, uh, it's between the, you know, talking about the character of Riaz and a character, so almost an essay about a character named Mike, who is a African-American uh, big agent in Hollywood. And, um, right. and who is kind who, of who looking is a Trump at, supporter. Yeah, who, <laughs> yeah, and a Trump supporter. And so, uh, and then you talk at a certain point about, uh, I'll call him the, the narrator, um, about his own perceptions as, you know, experienced through relationships with women in particular, but of his own skin color um, and his internalized perceptions of his own race and also those con- its, its connections with sex as well and the whole sense of how he's perceived and how it has shaped him and then how money relates to that and whether or not people of color what 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 it it looks like in this country when people of color have money and so i i find all that um that that's the that's the part in a way that links it so organically with um, those sections in the beginning and where you came from. You know, it's interesting in, in talking, in, ta- in hearing you talk about, about it, it sort of occurs to me that, you know, it, it's hard to describe what the structure of the book is to those. I think it's much easier to experience as a read than it is to describe what it really is in yeah. any kind of like clear sense. But if it's sort of hearing you talk about it, I'm like, yeah, right. Yeah, it's that about makes sense. Mo- fa- <laughs> it's about father, then it's yeah. about mother, then it's about yes. the prophet, then it's about the law, then yes. it's about money, then it's about love and sex, then it's about race and politics, and finally, it's about love. There's your book tour. We we got yeah. it. Well, I'm just saying. I'm just saying <laughs> that, that that's those are those are those are the those are the slalom gates that the story is sort of you know racing through. And yes, in the midst of it, all of these things that you're talking about, you know, the the effect of race and and how money and race are intertwined in this country and what belonging, you know, what does it mean to finally achieve American belonging? Well, isn't fundamentally, isn't that really about, isn't that about money? Isn't that about making it when you make it that you, in a sense, finally do belong? Well, that goes back to your parents and you being a struggling writer for so many years and all of that, which brings me, having gone through all of those doorways in the in, in this story, um, I want to lead back to what reactions you can anticipate over these coming weeks about what you have just written and are publishing. You know, there's a uh, sort of a family friend, uh, not direct family, who had read an early copy of the book and uh, emailed me at 6 a.m. one morning. Uh, you know, I, I love it. It's wonderful. Uh, I couldn't put it down, but I need to talk to you. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> I <laughs> emailed her back and said, can you, know, can you talk? Can you talk this morning? She's like, yeah, yeah, I can talk right now. I called. 
and basically, you know, said you 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 can't let this book go out the way it is. You you've got to you've got you can't say these things about the prophet, and uh, you got to you got to take them out. And you know, and it was just the sort of beginning of a kind of taste of what was ahead. You know, people who are going to you know be upset about the things that I've written about my father and. Um, you know, certainly, and, and maybe less so about my mom, but uh, but mm-hmm. but to, to the same degree, and uh, you know, a lot of uh, consternation and maybe outrage and perhaps even wrath about some of the stuff that I say about the prophet, and then you know, to sort of like not even get into what I say about myself. So yes, and what how that's going to be reflected by uh, readers and and and. And uh, people who come to the book are hoping for uh, some representation of Muslim American identity or, you know, Pakistani American experience and 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 want something redemptive or they want something really positive. And, you know, and then, you know, the extent to which if there's any kind of like praise or their accolades or anything like that is like, you know, the 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 accusation that I'm throwing my own. I'm throwing myself and my own people under the bus for, you know, some personal mm-hmm. gain of some sort, you know, all of things, which all things which I've been dealing with over the years. But I have I worry that the, I worry that all of that has just been like, you know, it's just been sort of scattered showers and that the thunder well, this is all is this brings coming. it all together. So it is now if they're yeah. going to if anyone hasn't <laughs> reacted in the past, they, they, this is something for everybody pretty much. Um, yeah. But it's it's like an all you can eat buffet. But, um, you know, that, I wonder if you don't have a concurrent hope uh, aside from the book doing well and, and all the rest of that. But of of a reaction from at least certain individuals out there in your family and of being understood in a way you, you never have before because you do bring so much to this and you obviously express certain things that you haven't. And I mean, that will be really interesting to see if there aren't people in your family who somehow have not felt able to express their own thoughts who see in yours, um, you know, some echo of, of what they themselves have felt at different times. Well, I think the thing I'd say, I think the thing I'd say about that is just that um, I don't think I've ever had the experience before, John, that, you know, writing a book or writing a play or writing something really fundamentally tra- transformed me. Mm-hmm. And I think in some way, writing this book changed something inside me I, that I didn't know yeah. needed changing, but I think it probably did need changing or it, or it was yearning for that change. It solidified something in me. Mm-hmm. It took a long time to get here, but I think speaking this way, speaking this directly, speaking this un, with with this much sort of freedom, you know, freedom earned from years and years of craft, I think, uh, has has made something clear to me about what my place is as an artist and as a writer, and what it means for me to do what it is that I do. And I'm not sure I could articulate in any better terms what any of that is. It's it's. It's yeah. really just a feeling more than it is some kind of idea or meaning. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that's really true. And doing it in the wake of the loss of, of one's parents at that particular time in, in one's life, um, it's the right time. You know, you've been working yeah. for it all that time. There's a line you quote from Mary Maroney, uh, the professor in the book. Uh, she says, when, right when you're first studying with her, and she says, use the difficulty, make it your own. Yeah. And you have really done that here, um, and you've made it art. And um, you know, as a reader, I'm grateful. As uh, a friend, um, I'm I'm full of admiration. So I, I can't thank you enough um, 
for you, uh, hopping on the on the the phone, as it were, uh, with me. Well, and, and, anything for Sun Valley. I love. I, I miss. <laughs> I miss the fact that we weren't in Sun Valley this summer. I, it was. It it's, was rough. It's to a miss highlight it, of my we, year. <laughs> yeah, looking forward to next summer with fingers crossed. Yeah, and uh, wishing you great success with this amazing book. Thank you, John. Thank you. Thank you for having me. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Beyond the Page. You can catch previous podcast episodes, as well as installments of SVWC Now, our series of video conversations, at lithub.com or at the Sun Valley Writers Conference website, svwc.com. I'm John Burnham Schwartz. Thanks so much for listening. Beyond the Page is produced by John Burnham Schwartz and James Tooley. Original music by Dean Grinsfelder and production support provided by Jay Shilliday and the Network Studios. 